Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moikluf podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. Good morning, family. That's, thank you. <laughs> it's a good morning, isn't it? Come on. It's such a good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Christian Leber. I have the amazing honor and privilege of serving alongside Philip and Renee as the two IC of this church, leading our discipleship, leading our youth ministry. Um, did we say where Philip is this morning? We did. We did. We did. He's ordaining elders. He's preaching. He's ministering. It's awesome. Um, and so it's just, a, it's just an honor to, to be part of this spiritual family, to be part of all of you. This is uh, truly incredible. Also, we are part of something much bigger. This sermon series testifies of that. We have over 500 Every Nation churches across the world in over 82 nations preaching the same thing. People coming, becoming holy, people living holy, people experiencing God all around the world. This morning, 50 Every Nation churches are gathering in China underground. And probably around China in, in different time slots in the week. Because if they did this, they'd be jailed. And they're not doing this, but they are preaching this. How does that make you feel? Right? Let's not get too comfortable right here, right? So in our series, we've been exploring the fundamental theme of holiness in the Bible. And today we're finishing off the series. It's our final sermon on holiness. But we aren't finished with holiness, right? And God is not finished with holiness. May this set the tone of the whole year and pursuing holiness. But in our pursuit of living holy lives, understanding holiness... Um, transforming our hearts and increasing our missional passion. We've preached four weeks on this. I want to take a quick recap because this morning doesn't make too much sense if we don't have the background of the, the previous four weeks. So in week one, Philip preached on the very foundation of our holiness that God is holy. His holiness means that he is unique, completely different from anything in creation. He is, Psalm 96 said, he is great, marvelous in deeds. He is to be feared above everything. He made the heavens splendor and majesty, strength and glory, worthy to be praised. All things are worthless compared to God's worth. But it's not just unique and majestic in his holiness. He is also good. He is untouched and untamed by evil and sin. He is completely morally pure by an objective standard that we cannot even comprehend. In week two, I preached on us losing God's holiness from Genesis chapter three. I spoke about Satan's four-step plan to deceive us into taking our trust and our faith from God and placing it in anything other than Him and most of the time in ourselves. In ourselves, our emotions, we're really, our, our current generation where culture is moving, for a long time culture has been moving in a complete direction of just absolutely idolizing emotion and feeling. Whatever feels right must be right. 
And that's basically our culture is discerning right from wrong and morality. And that is exactly why we lost holiness. We exchanged trust in faith in God for trust and faith in anything else. And we do that every day. Then in week three, we saw God's holiness revealed. Aaron's sons, they went as unholy, unclean beings into the presence of God and fell dead to the ground. God's holiness, beautiful and majestic as it is, extremely dangerous. Caution, do not touch. Do, you, know, you know that dog, dog on duty kind of, okay, holiness on duty. Beautiful, do not touch if you are unholy or impure. And God's holiness is revealed in that. The price to restore holiness to guilty lives is by laying down the life of the innocent. Blood must flow. And then last week, we saw holiness restored. God becoming man, living holy, taking on a a form that would be susceptible to all of these things, and yet, without guilt, without sin, laying down his life in exchange for ours. So that's where we are in terms of holiness. If you, this morning or last week, If you have chosen to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your holiness and your salvation, then will you turn to the person next to you and say to them, I am holy. Say, I am one with God. One last one. He is my God and nothing else. All right. Now that we are holy, we have been made holy We have one God and nothing else. How do we live that out daily? How is that supposed to change our lives, our daily lives? That's what I'm going to be preaching about this morning. I'm talking about holiness lived. And I'm asking the question, what should we do with our holiness? So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read three verses, verse 21 to 23. And while you're getting to that place in your Bibles... Um, Paul is writing to believers, people who say they are holy, like all of us. And in the letter, he is reminding them of what they were like before they were made holy by Christ, in order that they would, as a reminder of that, they would know and realize what is the reality of their new identity and therefore live it out. So we're going to read verse 21 to 23. Paul recalls the former life. He says, And you, that's us, all of us, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If... Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, what do we learn about living holy lives from the scripture? Well, firstly, we learn the reason for living unholy lives. We learn the reason we lived unholy lives in the start. So in the scripture, he says, all of us once 
were something and therefore we did something. What were we? It says here, you once were alienated and hostile in mind. So what is this talking about? It's saying we had an identity. We had an identity, and our identity, who we were, how, who we identified as, was alienated from God, separated from Him, without Him, completely without Him. Before you had a relationship with God, before we had a relationship with God, we didn't even care about right or wrong. We had no knowledge of pleasing God. We had no knowledge or desire of doing anything apart from whatever we want. We just did what we want to do. Only what we want to do. And that was it. That was our identity. That's who we were. And we had beliefs. We had a way of thinking. We had a way to make decisions. We had a thought pattern that was hostile towards God. Now, that word hostile means actively at war with God. It's not like our minds were just dwindling or thinking certain things. We had certain beliefs. No, our beliefs and minds were actively opposed to God's desires, to God's way of thinking. And therefore, we did something. We did evil deeds. Deeds that were objectively evil according to God's divine and holy moral standard. All right. So what is the scripture actually saying? What is the scripture teaching us? This scripture is assuming what the rest of the Bible also agrees on. That your actions and your lifestyle, your decision making, your time spent in the week, if you had to take stock on exactly how much time you spent doing what this week, all of it is determined by your identity and your beliefs. It's all a reflection of your identity and your beliefs. Who you truly believe you are and what you believe to be true. So that's what I mean by identity. What I mean by identity is what is the sense of who you are? What makes you valuable? What makes you significant? I'll give an example. When I was younger, uh, I used to be a sprinter. I was a sprinter and what I did, I also find my identity in. So I've got a picture on uh, the picture that I have of me, that's back in 2015. Is, that, is it on? Uh, no picture. There it is. All right. So that's me and Wade for Nikark, slapping hands in the 400-meter final of the 2015 SA Championships. That was the first race. He broke the 45-second barrier in. Uh, I was in lane one. He was in lane four. Um, and so... I had the privilege of training with him for two years. We were good friends. Uh, and I, I really identified as a sprinter. All right, which means that as long as I could win or be the fastest, I felt significant. I felt valuable. If someone would say, hey, do you want to race? I'd say, sure. But I'll make it fair, with, fair towards you. I'll, I'll run on one leg. I was, I was cocky, you know, I was, I was, because this was what I was identifying as, I was good in it, and it made me valuable and significant, but it also made me terrified. I, I hated competing, I hated competing. Before the race, I would stress so much, so badly, because what if, what if I ran a bad race, what if I didn't do well, what if I, 
what if I reached the finish line and I wasn't good enough and I wasn't significant and I wasn't valuable? I, I identified a lot with uh, Harold Abrams. Har Harold Abrams was a former 100-meter world champion. He competed against Eric Liddell. You'll see the story in Chariots of Fire. Anyone watch Chariots of Fire? Know the story of Eric Liddell? Yes. So Harold Abrams was the former 100-meter world champion, and he said that the reason why he runs is because when that gun goes off, he's got 10 seconds to justify his existence. 10 seconds to justify his existence. If I do well, I'm valuable. I'm significant. Now, if you sit here and you think, what actions, what do you do? What makes you valuable and significant as a human being? What is the thing that if you lost it or the thought of losing it inspires anxiety and fear? What if you lost you might feel like you might not even want to continue living. Is it, a, is it a loved one? What makes you valuable and significant? Because that is what you find your identity in. That is what you find, that's your identity. And what do I mean by our beliefs? By our beliefs, I mean what you hold to be true. What you think about purpose, morality, fulfillment, peace, and hope. What do you believe to be true about everything in life and ultimately what you place your trust in? I read an article this week about an a, a, a ex-resident of one of the uh, University of Stellenbosch races, the hostels there, and he was describing their initiation processes. And he would say what they would do is they would blindfold the first years, give him a rope to hang on to, and then waste him two stories up in the air. Or so they made him think. And they would tell him to sing, to sing songs while he was dangling, supposedly two stories in the air. And at some point, his strength would fail him and he would fall half a meter. Now, those who believed it, those who believed it was true that they were two stories in the air, they tore their hands open. Hanging on, to the, hanging on to the rope. They were dangling, shouting hysterically, totally in fear, while the truth and the reality was they were going to be fine. But what they believed to be true greatly determined how they responded to the situation. And the same for those who believed it not to be true, to be an obvious lie. They sang a little bit and then they just let go and then they touched down. They were much more composed, much more at peace. Exactly the same situation, but two totally different beliefs. Your beliefs determine your actions. Why is this? Why does identity and belief play such a big role in the way you live your life? Well, because in Genesis chapter 1, that's exactly how God designed it to be. Look at verse 27, our creation account. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But from the scripture, what is our identity? You're made in the image of God. What makes you valuable? What makes you significant? Well, it's that you're a reflection of God. 
that you're a reflection of absolute holiness, that you, that you are here to reflect the character of God, to be known by our Creator in a way that nothing in creation can be known by Him, and to know Him and engage with Him in a relationship that nothing in all of creation can engage with Him. You were made in God's image. You are an image bearer. And therefore, we were made to never have any hope of being whole or good or content or at peace or have joy until the day we'd be defined and identified by a living God and living in His image. You will forever be discontent, forever be hungry. St. Augustine has a, has a quote, right? It says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in Thee, O Lord. Because you were created for this. So where in the scripture is um, where in the scripture is belief or trust? Well, you were created, weren't you? You're not the result of a cosmic accident. You're not the result of chemical processes. You're the result of, of an intentional action by a divine, loving, good God who created you. When the world wants to know how this iPad, any new device on the market that man has made, why was it made? What was it made to do? Where do we go? To the creators. To the way that the creators set it out to be. Whether it's a manual or you do a personal communication with the creators, you go to the creator's representatives. You go to Apple and you say, teach me. What this thing, what, what can I use it for? Can I use it to clean my bathtub? Can I use it, it's all purpose, right? No, it's only certain purpose. For a certain reason it was created, and the creators knew when they designed it, they had a purpose in mind. So did our God. Who do you place your trust in to define your purpose? Who do you put your trust in to define what is true about the whole world, about every situation, about your identity and your value in it. You see, the whole world, the whole world, the core problem in our world is not greed, it's not corruption, it's not poverty, it's not death, it's not hate, it's not murder, it is not certain parties, not certain government officials, that's not the root cause, that's not the root problem of what is wrong in our world. It isn't. Therefore, constantly over history, when you think a leader is the problem, they remove the leader. The next leader comes. Israel's kings is a great example of this. Jehoshaphat does all of the reforms, and then the King Ahaz, which follows him up, just destroys and nullifies all of it. The problem is not the leader. The problem is much deeper. The problem is sin. The problem is that evil deeds are the, the result of a core identity condition called alienation, sinfulness. The problem is that our beliefs and our minds are consumed with things that are hostile towards God. That's the core problem. And nothing in this whole world will ever be fixed until that solution, that, those two things, identity and belief, is aligned back with God. It's not possible. You, 
None of us will live holy. No one will live holy until your beliefs and your identity aligns with God's intention of your life in the first place. I'll give one grand scale example. Look at some of the greatest atrocities in human history. Hitler's Holocaust of World War II, the Great Leap Forward by Mao Zedong in China. You look at Stalin's reforms in Russia. These three things alone killed over 200 million people combined. 200 million people. That's four times the population of our country. Three things. Three people. And you will find at the core of their decisions, at the core of their identities, was a philosophy that was alienated from God and on the contrary, hostile towards Him. That's why. Now the incredible thing about the Scripture is it doesn't just tell us the reason for living unholy. It tells us the reason for living holy. The reason for living a holy lives says you once were alienated, separated from God, and hostile in mind. But now, verse 22, he has now, Jesus Christ has now reconciled alienation versus reconciliation in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Amen. If there would never be any hope for creation to ever reflect God and be perfected, be holy, apart from a change of identity, apart from a change of beliefs, God knew this. So he became a man in Jesus Christ. And that man, Jesus Christ, is God's missionary to his greatest mission field, us. See, something about God's holiness I'm going to speak more on is that holiness cannot be concealed. It cannot be kept silent. Holiness must be proclaimed. Holiness must be revealed. And therefore, Jesus Christ made himself susceptible to a body that can be alienated from God, that can be hostile in mind, yet perfectly holy and in unity with God. But in the end, he was treated as alien and hostile, facing the full wrath of God's holiness over our unholiness and giving us this new identity. Look at this. Look at the result of this, of our identity and beliefs. Identity, holy. God is holy. Back into unity with God versus alienation. Look at this. Blameless versus hostile. Above reproach versus evil deeds. this is the reason why we can live holy lives. There's a realization of a new identity. Something else makes you valuable. Something else makes you significant. There is a different standard to believe and to receive. There's a new way of thinking. There's a truth about life that puts all of life in perspective much greater than any other philosophy out there. I, you know, I greatly enjoyed a book I recently read. I speed read it. I just flew through it, reading just some of the, the, the headings as best as I can. That was speaking about the effects that Christianity has had on mankind. It's things like the meanings of names. 
all human rights. Universities and the pursuit of greater knowledge, improvement of mankind. There is not a single sense of good morality that does not find its origin in theism, in the existence of God, and mostly in Christianity. Holy, blameless, above reproach. This is not just for our eternity. Jesus did not save us just for our eternity. He saved us for our everyday. Things must, it's already now. If, you, if we're saying, but our, our deeds will change one day we're in heaven, then I'm saying, well, then, then that doesn't make sense because then you're only going to be holy and blameless and above reproach. When you get into heaven, this, then this scripture is a lie. Because this scripture is seeking to change identity and beliefs now, which then should result into changed lifestyles now, right? And so here, here's where the scripture gets a little bit, um, what is it? Scary. Scary. Because if you look at verse 23, it says, if indeed you do something. There's a clause in the scripture. Did you see it when we read it in the first? There's a clause. It says, yes, you are presented holy, blameless, above reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith. There's a clause. Okay, but hold on, hold on, hold on, all right? Are you saying that if I do not follow this clause, if I do not walk in this clause, then I will not go to heaven? Well... Not exactly, not directly. You see, Paul is writing this, and Paul is very clear on how you get into heaven. He's very clear on salvation, how you get saved. He wrote Ephesians chapter two. It says, for it's by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works. He's very clear about that. But there's something important that Paul is trying to communicate that we need to understand. Something very important we need to understand. Yes, your actions, your deeds, your lifestyle is determined by your identity and your beliefs. Yes, your life is determined by your identity and beliefs. But your lifestyle also enforces and enhances and forms your identity and beliefs. Your actions not only reflect what you believe, about who you are and about what is true, your actions also reinforce what you believe to be true. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 to 5 says, Whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. In other words, no, you don't know him. If you knew him, if you had the belief and the identity, you would live differently. It would affect you. But if you do not obey, if you are committed to disobedience, then you don't know him. No, you don't know him. But whoever does obey, in him daily, the love of God is perfected. So obedience produces perfection. The love of God being perfected. Someone who doesn't keep God's commandments as a habit still does not believe God's truth. They still don't have God's identity. But someone who has taken that identity, who does believe God's, trust, uh, God's truth and places their trust in them, who then would go on to dedicate applying God's words 
and living those truths and identity, they will daily be perfected in God's love. This is the Luke chapter 6, right? The wise man and the foolish man. Right? What's the difference between the wise man who built his life on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand? The difference is not that they heard the word of God. The difference is that they applied it. The wise man applied it. The, the, there was application. The foolish man didn't apply it. So guess what? His life was built on hearsay, on cultural identification. Yo, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And then the storms came. You're not a believer anymore. All of a sudden, you're angry at God. You reject Him. You walk away from Him. Why? Because your actions was never reflecting or enforcing a life that has a new identity, that believes the truth about God. So let's continue. Final point, the application of living holy lives. Verse 23 says, if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Continue in the faith. Continue in the faith means to orientate your life, your habits, your thinking, your reading around God's will and desires. When I'm, uh, sometimes when I'm not in the best space in my life, I escape. What I do is I try to escape. And, and, and so I, 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 would, I would read news articles. In the time that Jacob Zuma was going to be put in prison, like when he was, when Becky Taylor actually had to go do his job and go arrest him, um, I, was, I was on the news articles like this. I was scrolling, I was reading. I was waiting. I was just waiting for the headline. Because maybe if they take Jacob Zuma and they put him in prison, then more corrupt officials would be imprisoned. And everything will be better. And then he was imprisoned. And two months later, he was out on medical parole. Oh, man. And then I was like, there's no hope. There's no hope. And God says, yes. There's no hope, especially not if you teach yourself by your habits and constant searching and constant thinking to place your help, your hope in our justice system, to place your hope in media and journalism, then there's no hope. But you see me constantly looking at news articles, me building a habit that is waiting for a headline was teaching my heart to hope in something where there was no hope. And it's the same. When you walk into the shopping mall you see, over, you see thousands of advertisements every single day that tries to teach you, come to us, there's hope here. Your life is incomplete until you have our product. And the more you engage with that, the more you agree with that, the more you will believe it. Your actions and your habits will also determine your beliefs. It's not just that your beliefs will determine your actions. They work as a circle they enforce one another. And so just like that, devotion, scripture reading, prayer, evangelism, discipleship, community, generosity. Yes, generosity, taking money and giving it to the people or to the place or to the community that is actively working transformation is teaching you do not be greedy. You can't, if, if that cannot happen, the more you try to hold on because you don't know how you're going to get out at the end of the, 
the month, the more you are teaching yourself to hope and believe in greed. But the more you give away in obedience, the more you are teaching yourself to trust God. All of this that you see to my left, the discipleship growth path, the one-to-one, doing it in our small groups, it's teaching us something. Every week we're getting together We're talking transparently. We're holding each other accountable. We're exploring the truths of God. We're committing to believe them. It's doing something. It's working a transformation. When you go and you take the purple book, and you go through that purple book in your devotional time over and over, and you pursue God, it's teaching you something. It teaches us something. When you're making disciples training, it teaches you to make disciples. It's a training. That's, That's teaching us something. It's, it's cultivating something in us. The scripture says, hope of the gospel. If you continue in the faith and you hope in the gospel, what the gospel promises, what we all don't do. What is the gospel promise? Reunification, eternity, sanctification. The gospel promises that whoever receives it and believes it will have a new identity, a new belief, therefore new actions, therefore transformed community and society. I spoke to a friend yesterday. He's got an incredible idea. He's a cricket coach to go into communities and coach cricket, and the community will be changed. I said, that's great that you want to serve the community. That'll be awesome. Why, what is the root cause, root, the root problem in the, in the community? Because the thieves, lying, stealing, mafia, control, power. He said, no, those are all symptoms. Those are all symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is alienation. It's hostility. It's identity and belief that is separated from God. It's not. There's no gospel. There. Take the gospel. Proclamation. I said earlier, holiness is shown. It, it shines. Paul proclaimed as far as his knowledge and as far as his, his legs could go, he proclaimed the gospel under the entire heaven. That's what he said, right? Which is basically just a way of saying he's been through the whole Roman Empire and he proclaimed the gospel everywhere he went. If holiness is transferred, the way that Christ transferred it, okay, so... so in the Old Testament, if, if you were pure and something impure touched you, you became impure. And you can't enter the presence of God. Then Jesus came and he was holy. And when Jesus' holiness touched impurities, his holiness was transferred. Holiness transfers. Wherever we want to see a change inside, wherever we want to see a transformation in our lives, holiness needs to be transferred. Therefore, Holiness unproclaimed will lead to more wickedness, always. I grew up with people telling me, my faith, my relationship with God is a personal matter. It's a matter between me and God. Today I can very publicly tell you that that is very unbiblical to say something like that. There is no place in the Bible ever where God is hoping that people will make their relationship with God a completely personal matter, never to be shared with someone else, never to be discussed, never to be built, never to be shown, never to be proclaimed. That is hostile to God. And in history, the gospel has not suffered because saints and believers presented it badly 
It suffered because saints and believers did not present it, did not proclaim it. That's where the gospel dies out. And so, Paul concludes and he says, I became a servant, a minister of this gospel. This morning, I want to tell all of us, look, I've, I've done the reading and the research for all of this. I've, I've even asked ChatGPT a couple of things. A couple of references. And you look at psychology and what psychologists are saying and doing and you look at the direction of the world. Here, here it is, okay? You, us sitting here, we do not have a choice whether we want to serve a master or not. We only have a choice of who our master will be. Will it be us? Will it be the world? Or will it be God? Who will you serve? Who will you proclaim? What will you believe? What is your identity? That is the choice we can make. And family, if, if we're not going to daily, daily, daily choose to build daily habits that teaches us, that builds pathways, Caroline Leaf would be proud, that builds pathways in our minds, that continues to habituate us and orientate our souls around a truth, around an identity that is founded in Christ. We will never change. But if we do, if this morning, every single one of us would say, Lord, you determine who I am. Define me. Lord, you determine what is true. You determine what is right. Teach me. Lord, one hour devotion every day. One hour evangelism every week. Two hours of phone off time every day. Good habits. Good habits that teaches us. Three times kneeling prayer every day. A habit that teaches my body and posture where to find its trust where to place its faith. If we do not apply and live out our holy lives by actively engaging with what this church, what our community is doing, we will not see the fruit of the, of the word. It's not going to happen. But I do not think we can imagine the riches and the beauty that we will see if we would be a people who dedicate our lives to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's close our eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize that over time, over time you have cultivated so many habits, so many thought patterns, that you have inhabited an identity, you have taken on beliefs that is alienated and hostile from God. You do believe in Jesus Christ. But you realize there's a very proactive application of this sermon necessary. And will you stand so we can pray with you? Old habits and thoughts you want to lay down before God.
bad habits, bad beliefs. Let's stand and pray. Anyone else? There's a new identity waiting for us. A daily identity. And God is inviting us into a lifestyle that is enforcing that identity. That reminds us. Reminds us. Anyone else want to lay down a bad habit before God? Is there anyone here who realizes that there's a couple of new habits that you want to dedicate to God? There's an application of your holiness that that really requires more commitment. You want to give that to God. Stand, let's pray. Yes. 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 Man, this is applicable. Father, you see every heart and every soul before us this morning. Even just this act of obedience, this act of transparency, of vulnerability before other people is teaching us that it is safe within your presence. This is the place where we bring all of our bad habits, our old and expired identities, all of our wrong beliefs, Father, none of us can stand here and say we are without sin. None of us. And if there is a hint of sin, then then there is a hint of falsehood. Lord, then we want to lay that down before you. I want to pray, Lord, we are a church who will dedicate ourselves. Every person standing is making a commitment, Lord, before you. We almost want to make a covenant with you, Lord. That should you change our identity and beliefs, which you already have that we will habituate our lives around these truths. I pray for a community that will be wholeheartedly transformed, fully and completely. I pray, Lord, that this church will take seriously, our people will take seriously when an announcement goes out that says, come, we're gonna go reach lost people. Come, we're gonna seek God with all of our hearts. Come, let us proclaim his victory. Father, we wanna hear your voice. We want to see you glorified, made holy and honored. Father, come minister to your people. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, you are our advocate. You have presented us holy and blameless and above reproach so that should anyone in this church ever approach you, they could do so with confidence. They could do so pure and clean with no fear of falling dead before your holiness. Father, change our habits, change our lives. We choose you and we will apply your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone say, amen. And that concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationswane.org forward slash moikloof. That's everynationswane.org forward slash moikloof. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then. Yeah.